It messed my world up completely. My uh, lovely little life on a canal boat in London disappeared. I gave it away. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Coffee Business Magazine, Fifth Wave. Last week in our episode on coffee competitions, we featured a clip from a conversation I had with 2009 World Barista Champion Willem Davies. And today we bring you that interview in full. As we heard, Willem is the founder of London's iconic Proofrock Cafe, a coffee judge. He runs his own barista training center and recently launched his own coffee brand, The Naughty Dog. In this conversation, Willem shares a powerful story of personal growth, how becoming a reluctant winner ended up defining his coffee career, and why now is the time to hand the portafilter to the next generation of coffee professionals. So welcome to Fifth Wave. Hello, Jeffrey. It's uh, lovely to talk to you again. It's been a while. So great to connect with you again. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your own career, how it got started, and what got you interested in coffee in the first place. So right back at the beginning, wow. Late 90s, I landed in New Zealand after traveling a bit with no money and ended up working in a cafe in Ponsonby, uh, Auckland. And I was hooked straight from the get-go. When I returned back to my old life, where uh, the lovely people kept my job open for me for two years, I I just couldn't settle, couldn't settle. And uh, what I'd seen and experienced in this little cafe in New Zealand completely changed my career direction. So... What was it about coffee that got you so excited back in Auckland? There's the people. Um, Specialties changed a lot in many ways in London now. It's the establishment. It's the mainstream. And it wasn't back then. It was a strange place full of misfits and people who'd been around a little bit who just seemed to have fallen into this specialty uh, coffee cafe scene. We didn't even have a name for it at the time. It was just, I don't know, really nice coffee that was traceable and we were trying to do our best. Um, but the people were very different to the ones I grew up with. Um, they, I was very curious about them and I was curious about this different type of coffee that had an origin and not just a marketing brand behind it. So you set up a cart in White Cross Street, I think, in London. Was that the first thing you did when you returned from Auckland? Yeah, I arrived in about 99. So there wasn't anything. I mean, there was uh, Monmouth Coffee, but I didn't find that till about 2000. So uh, I was just working in a second wave uh, chain, managing. My plan was to learn how to manage a cafe and then uh, open my own Uh with my style, which uh, I knew about that wasn't evident in the UK. But uh, I got lost somewhere and uh, really enjoyed actually just working for other people because I was uh, learning so much. 
eventually, because there really wasn't many career opportunities back then. So the only way was to really go upwards towards management. And uh, I was not the best manager that Monmouth Coffee ever had. I can honestly say that. My uh, management career was heavily supported by the lovely staff around me, rather than my uh, innate ability to uh, manage a shop. So I eventually had to leave and uh, go back to the ground floor. I worked on a coffee cart by myself to start with, uh, just implementing all the things that I'd been learning. I went back to being a barista and I loved it. I loved it. And then from there? From there, there was another coffee cart at Columbia Road. Um, before that, there was plenty of other little little escapades. But uh, mostly, yep, the, from the coffee carts, uh, the next big thing happened when Square Mile appeared on the London coffee scene. Was, was that about the time when you started thinking about entering a barista competition? No, I never wanted to enter a barista competition. It was uh, back in the day, 2006, 2007, there wasn't really baristas entering the competition. All I saw was marketing people and uh, some old has-beens. But uh, so I never wanted to ever go near the competition. I was doing my own thing. We were being progressive. We were, we were changing things. or we thought we were. And I didn't want to go into competition until I met James Hoffman and uh, Stephen. They came to help me on the coffee cart in uh, Columbia Road. And I was, I was fascinated by their ability to deal with customers, how clean they were working, um, the preciseness of everything they were doing, their efficiency. And I was also amazed at how many people they knew who weren't in London. I knew coffee in London. And the customers knew me. And I was like the coffee man. There was somebody else who was the bread lady and somebody else who was the fish person. And I was just part of the food scene in London. I didn't know that there was this international coffee scene. And they opened my eyes to it. Working with them behind the cart for a while. I mean, James was 2007 World Barista Champion. Stephen was 2008 World Barista Champion. I was working with them and I thought, you know what? They're not that good, really. I wonder, I wonder how good I am or is it just my ego? So um, I announced to James that I was going to uh, enter the local regional heat. So he got me to make uh, two cappuccinos in front of him. I was going to make four, but I was shaking so much that uh, I, I could only manage two really bad ones. It was, um, I was so nervous. Uh, it just wasn't, it just wasn't me. I was never brought up to speak in front of people, uh, let alone pour latte out in front of people. So, um, but I'd stuck, I'd, I'd said it and uh, I'd committed. So I thought I'd go along to the first regional heat. 
And uh, as predicted, I hated it. I was so nervous before the uh, actual uh, performance that I walked, I went for a little walk outside and I got completely lost. Couldn't find the venue. I was lost. Somebody, they were all looking for me. Uh, so, so they found me just before it was time for me to go on stage. So I went on stage. It was a disaster. Um, absolutely terrible. I was shaking and nervous. Um, I walked straight off the stage and uh, the wonderful Annette Moldovar, who, who looked after me through the whole thing, she tidied up all my stuff on stage for me. Uh, and I went to the bar and I just sat in the bar not having a drink yet. Uh, and I don't know who it was. Somebody came and sat in front of me. I went, that was terrible. That was terrible. I'm never doing that again. Never doing that again. Um, and the, the guy went, Gwilym, I think you're going to have to. I had no idea what he was talking about. So I was, off. I was so pleased everything was finished. And then the announcements came and I thought, oh, I can't have done very well. And I actually won. I won the heat. So I had to progress to the next level, which of course I didn't want to do. Uh, but we, we trained for it and I was a little bit better, but it's still nervous. Nervous as anything for the semifinals and then finally the finals uh, of the UK Barista Championship. So you work with James, who won in 2008, the year before you entered. Was there any competitive element as to why you chose to compete in 2009? Or was it about proving to yourself? Yeah, it was about self-improvement. It was There was very few people around who were interested in coffee at this kind of level. Um, there was very few people who had his ability and his knowledge. So it was natural for me to link to him. And he was... He was an interesting guy. He was really nice. And so uh, it was easy to be able to, you know, just hang out with him. I, the, poor, the poor chap, before I competed, and uh, I knew he knew coffee. And I, when I, I was not, I didn't really know him that well. So every time I saw him around London, I would be chasing him down the street. James, James. My, my roaster doesn't give me my roast steak. Is this normal? Just basic questions that I had no idea about because I had nobody to talk about. And uh, James was the poor guy that I would uh, <laughs> stalk around town for answers. So no, for me, no competitiveness. It was literally, I, I just wanted some information and to, to, to learn. So... You got to the finals and then you won the World Brista Championships in 2009. Tell us about that experience. Oh, terrible. Hated it. Um, there's, uh, I, uh, Jeffrey, it's a big, long story. I, we probably haven't got enough time for this. But again, I, am, I was never... The education system that I, I was in never taught me to be a leader... It never taught me to stood up in front of people and to to talk. Um, it was mostly uh, no a survival thing. Was really uh, getting through school. It this was an environment that I was not. I was not 
um, prepared for. I didn't like it. Uh, I hated being up on stage. Now I'm okay with it. Um, I actually enjoy it. The process of going through uh, the competition, it, it's taught me to be in front of people because I just had to do it so many times. Uh, hated the experience. James was my coach. Uh, Annette roasted the coffee, found a beautiful coffee. Uh, yeah, very nice. James came up to me. I told James, look, James, I do not want to win. I did. I, I'm the most reluctant World Brister Championship champion that's ever turned up there, I think. I had a really nice life. I was working on the coffee cart. I was living on a canal boat in London. I had some lovely friends working with me on the coffee cart. I had a great dog. Everything was wonderful. I didn't want anything disrupting this. So uh, James came, came up to me and went, Quillen, are you sure you really don't want to win? I said, absolutely sure, James. Don't want to win. He said, hmm. And you could see that little twinkle in his eye when he becomes naughty. And he, uh, he designed a barista routine not to win. The problem is, because he designed one not to win, it was probably a 99% chance of not winning and 1% of everyone loving it. And they, uh, they obviously loved it. So you obviously took a really big risk with your routine. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the opening statement was uh, we were in the US where they, they really like to um, big things up and they love their marketing. And we walked on stage. I say we because it was a team. I was the actor. Uh, we walked on stage and I said that I was disappointed with espresso. It's kind of went against the whole competition. And then I went on to explain why uh, espresso was disappointing most of the time. But uh, yeah, so James was being naughty, and but he, uh, in the end, he was too, he was too good. Because of course, the last thing you're going to do is um, do something bad. I didn't want to do anything bad on set. Of course, I was going to try really hard because I, I wanted to um, represent everybody who'd helped me in in the time to to get me there. So, and I. I have my own personal pride as well as a barista that I wanted to do a really good job and I wanted to serve really tasty drinks. I just had no interest in winning. So how did becoming a world barista champion change your world? It messed my world up completely. My uh, lovely little life on a canal boat in London disappeared and I had to, I gave it away. But I had to... Um, travel a lot. I, I felt this sense of responsibility that really I didn't have because I could have done anything I wanted. But I, I felt this sense of uh, responsibility to the baristas that were out there. You no, know, the baristas, the barista that I was, um, that didn't have the information, didn't know where to go for information. I, I kind of wanted to meet them and have a chat, really, and sort of represent them properly to make sure that people saw us as professionals and took us seriously. 
So you're obviously a, a different type of barista from James Hoffman. In a sense, I mean, I would, I'm out of my depth in sort of even beginning to kind of categorize James Hoffman as a, as a barista. I would never, I would never even try and de- describe it. He's an enigma. But I mean, your <laughs> approach was very simple, very stripped back in, in, in a way, just focusing on the essentials. You know, it's either white or it's black coffee, it's small, medium, large. To some, it might appear that you don't take coffee making so seriously. It, it is taking it seriously. It's just trying to not... We, we can market what's become to known as specialty, but we cannot... And it, the foundation cannot be bullshit. We have to have a strong foundation which we can market. One of the advantages of winning the World Brister Champion was one, it opened lots of doors to me. And I, I met you and came to some of your great events and learned a bit. But also, I could get things wrong and I could say things and think things because I'd already proved myself. All I wanted to do in life was uh, make coffee behind my coffee cart. I had no, no huge ambitions. So it gave me the freedom to go places, make terrible coffee sometimes um, because I was not used to the machine or I, I didn't know that the steam wand in Melbourne at some latte art competition actually had a foot pedal on the floor. So as me stood trying to find the steam handle for this uh, espresso machine, I couldn't find it. And a uh, complete disaster, made a fool of myself in many places. But I was allowed to because I'd already proved myself and other people don't have that luxury. So what do you think the, the significance is of coffee competitions ultimately to the coffee industry? I think it depends. It depends on the country and it depends on the competition. And one thing to think about with competitions too is that there's always a focus on competitors, but I, I've also been a judge and uh organizer, very bad organizer. So the coffee competition isn't just about the competitor. The judges learn a lot as well. They learn to evaluate coffee and techniques, and that goes back into their businesses and into their cafes. People who get the chance to organize events, have probably never organized them before, that experience goes back into their cafes and their their companies. Um, It depends what country you're in, whether it's the US uh, or if you're in Ecuador or most of my experiences in the Czech Republic, where we had a lot of international judges coming in and speakers coming into the competitions to bring information and international standards. If you run competitions on a a national scale in countries, but you're only using people from your country, you're not inviting speakers, you're not inviting outside judges or organisers, then you end up with this very insular uh, community that seems to 
have its own ideas about what standards are. Um, I really enjoy things like the Coffee Masters. Because of the international element with it, and that it's pretty open to who can come. It's mostly skills-based. It's not money-based. You don't need to bring really expensive coffees or have special gear. You just turn up with your barista skills. So taking it back to your own preparation for the World Barista Championships, how much time and effort did you put into it? Um, the, <laughs> the whole thing is, I can't even remember the, the number. The whole thing's a little bit embarrassing. From me deciding to compete for the first time, hating it, to eventually standing on the winner's podium uh, in Atlanta as the World Barista Champion. It was three months. Now, we, we had no money. We borrowed everything. Um, and we, got, we did it. it <laughs> but I was a very, very good barista. I'd been making coffee for 10 years and continually trying to learn and improve myself. James Hoffman knew how to uh, play the game of competition and Annette knew how to roast. So it was three months and it was very intense. Of course, James uh, designed the routine. My job was to be the barista, which I could do. The thing I couldn't do was stand on stage and talk or make coffee or do anything without dropping my uh, milk jugs on the floor. So my job was to make sure that I made coffee in front of people who made me nervous, got into situations where I was nervous, um, and, and to train that side of it. So what advice would you give to a new barista that wants to get into coffee and perhaps even compete? Well, from my judge's perspective, the two things that I found uh, judging that shocked me is Baristas don't read the rules of the competition. Very important. Whatever competition it is, read the rules. And the second, if there's things for you to practice, practice them. If it's built around a routine like the World Barista Championship, actually go through the routine, go through the setup, go through the routine and do it again and again and again and again. Um, as a competitor's, perspective. The thing is, it's very likely that you're not going to win. So know why you're competing. Find out why you're competing. It's not just because you want to win. There's other reasons. So find out what they are and build that in. I'm going to grill you again on that point about a reluctant winner. What made you compete? Why exactly were you at those World Brister Championships in 2009? I, I knew how to make coffee. Um, the reason I actually entered was because uh, of watching James and Stephen. They had a network of friends that I didn't have around the world. I, I, I wanted that. I wanted to test myself to see now just how good I was. 
But I also wanted to get better as well as a barista. And the competition, I thought, might help me become better. Um, how I reached the, the top was um, one this luck on the day. Uh, there's, that definitely has a big thing to play with it. And two, I was, I was a good barista back then. Would you say that that's one of the bravest and boldest things that you ever did in your career? No, probably um, the morning of the final, I had to break into the um, trade show next door, steal a grinder because I didn't have one, take it into the competition, use it, and then take it back to the Slayer stand and apologize to them for stealing their grinder first thing in the morning. That was probably one of, yeah, that was probably, but <laughs> that was probably the worst. They were very nice guys. They were very nice guys. It seems to have defined you. It seems to have made you to be able to be that person up on stage, to be able to communicate. You have become more outward. It's definitely participating in the competition, whether I won or not. Uh, has made me better at public speaking and being able to communicate within a like an open group or uh, do a presentation. Yeah, definitely. I mean, apart from that, actually winning um, has opened some doors to me, for me, um, mostly on my, my own education side. And then you went on to create Proof Rock Coffee, which was very education-led, Tell me about that. Yeah, we we found an, uh, there was a sex shop with a lease uh, that they wanted to sell on an old working class market uh, between East London, where a lot of the coffee was, and uh, Soho, where the other part of the group of uh, third wave coffee shops were. And it was amazing, big shop. So we took it open. We made the bar out of the old sex shop uh, uh, bookcases. So uh, rather, it gets expensive in London, throwing things out of a shop and bring things in. So we just used it and made it. Um, and people came to this little shop. And uh, luckily, there were some guys opened a shop up opposite the Department of Coffee and Social Affairs. And it was the best thing for us because it was a part of London where there wasn't any coffee and suddenly there's two coffee shops. So uh, we, we became a little bit of a destination place. And so what's next for Gwilym Davies? Me? I am currently in the Bohemian Forests just outside Prague and I am trying to be quiet and hide away from the coffee world most of the time. Um, I've been developing myself by learning how to roast. So I've uh, I set up a little roastery and we're roasting. I have a training centre still here. So I'm doing roasting two or three times a week and training centre two or three times a week. Uh, yeah, and I, I've got a lot to learn still with uh, the roasting. Yeah, but also, also Jeffrey, I, I've, I have I had my time talking and... We need some of the new people with fresher ideas 
and new perspectives. So uh, I generally keep quiet and I don't, I don't uh, take invites anymore to uh, participate, but I, I couldn't, couldn't resist having a chat with you again. Well, we're very pleased you did. I've got one final question for you. As a person, you're so understated. I mean, the fact that you won the World Barista Championships begrudgingly or, or not, that you've had the ability to communicate and teach so many thousands and thousands of people all across the world, directly and indirectly. What has been one of your biggest pleasures in this industry over all that time? One, um, I was very lucky to spend some time in Panama. Uh, and I spent three weeks on a farm there and went down into Borchete sometimes and uh, had a beer and there were other farmers hanging around eating and drinking and you were chatting to them on the street and in the bars. And then you'd go back to the coffee farm and uh, there'd be the noises and then you'd uh, wake up in the morning and uh, hummingbirds would be feeding on the flowers and you'd be walking through the, the geisha and you'd be you know, having a taste. And that was an uh, amazing experience. Um, I'm not a green buyer uh, there's no reason for me to go to a farm. It was just, as a barista, it was just such a, like a, yeah, lovely experience. The worst experience, um, I'll tell you where that was, that was uh, Clemson and Sons. Worst experience. I'd been out of London. Uh, I, did, I set up a little uh, cafe with somebody and came back into London. And uh, I went to Clemson and Sons. Tim Styles was running it. Sat down, had this flat white. I took one sip and it was delicious. Like I had never tasted milk and coffee like it before in my life. And the first thought that went through my head was I have to give up coffee now because this is what I'm trying to achieve somebody else has achieved it and there's no way that I can do this. And uh, I was really depressed, really depressed drinking this delicious coffee. I was uh, terrible, terrible. I think that's when I realised I I had to um, think about (laughs) uh, why I was in coffee and uh, it it wasn't about me being the best. So, uh, yeah, that was a wake-up call for me. Well, Willem, Thanks so much for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. Yes, it was nice to chat to you. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to the Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. If you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access to all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter collecting all the big coffee news stories of the week. Link is in the show notes. This episode was produced in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, Hannah Heath, James Harper of Filter Productions, and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song in collaboration with the Coffee Music Project is Uncharted Waters by London-based artist Cloudy Galvez. And until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and stay caffeinated. Uncharted waters So for the love of our sons and daughters Uncharted waters
All my thoughts are cloudy I'm surrounded by anger The same old tired conversations I've not been patiently waiting To find some motivation To keep my spirits high I know you know me As the smiley girl Without a care in the world but I lost her to the worry We're all in the same boat in the end Just waiting for the life raft to take us in Where we reach the shore, we'll fall to our knees Like the powers that be that we made it through these Rising tides of both you and I Uncharted waters So for the love of our sons and daughters Won't you fall